Welcome to Backstage, where moments in music performance come from the behind-the-scenes point of view. I'm Christina Kotlar. And I'm Yuri Turchin. Keeping an eye out and an ear to the ground for indie sounds that keep on giving the groove. Between the two of us, Yuri and I know Steely Dan's music from the beginning to present day. This podcast is about their performance at Tanglewood, third week into the Steely Dan Diplomatic Tour 2011. While they are not granting interviews, Yuri, jazz musician and audio guy, and my visual perspective come together with some intersecting X and Y viewpoints, quite the ingredients, and the outcome is always interesting. Enjoy the show. This is day after the Steely Dan concert, Tanglewood. It's a lot quieter today than what we were going through yesterday. When we got to the Massachusetts Turnpike, we noticed that it got a lot cooler than what we braved last week, which was over 100 degree temperatures. Then the torrential downpour comes. We go to Ben's Clothing in Lee, Massachusetts, and my wife buys boots, ponchos. We have to get our gear together because if we're going to be out on the lawn in the torrential rain, I agree. We just couldn't tell. The clouds were very ominous. It did look like a very bad storm. And we are the ilk of scouts who are always prepared. All right. Well, we were prepared with the picnicking. (laughs) The way everyone else was doing. I'm glad I I checked into that because uh, that is quite the tradition there with the little red wagons. We had our backpacks, chairs. We had our wine. We had our food. You did well. Well, thank you. Very well. The gates opened at 4 p.m. We got there and the sun came out. Yes. (laughs) So uh, the boots were unnecessary. I know that I became a fashionista with my new jacket. The, the weather the weather was very uh, complimentary to the evening. The music and the weather were congruent. I liked what you said last night on our way back. You had one word for the show. What was that? Sophisticated. Oh, absolutely. But you also had your word and that was enigmatic. And which puzzled me because it is a puzzling word, and it is a puzzle. I think it's because we both were Steely Dan fans from such a long time ago. Were we? Yes. I didn't know you such a long time ago. No, you did not, but uh, I was a Steely Dan fan. Why? The music really was very different from everything else. At the time, in the early 70s, Steely Dan always stood out. Really? The music did, because it has those jazz elements, I think. I didn't know what jazz was. I still am learning now. What? Well, instead of me... No, no, wait, wait, wait. Seminal Steely Dan to its end. What was the seminal Steely Dan, and what was the end of Steely Dan before Donald Fagan started doing his solo albums? Well, why don't you tell me? Well, I don't know. I I don't remember. However, I was in a country band, and then all of a sudden, here I am. (laughs) I'm totally immersed in Steely Dan. And that was at the time you were playing with Kinderhook. Yeah. And I don't know what jazz is at that time. I don't know how to define Steely Dan. Are they jazz? Are they um, progressive rock? They're beat. The rhythmic 
element of their songs is always rock. The harmonic content was always beyond <laughs> any kind of rock, any kind of jazz. It was their own definite signature, and you could never predict where the melody was going to go. You could never predict where the chords were going to go. You never predict where the intervals were going to go. Just could not predict it. And yet, I watched these people last night. The groove was there. That's all that mattered. The groove was there. They did not know whether we're doing whole tone scales or we're doing diminished scales or we're doing something harmonically that was totally off the cuff of what normal rock would do. Beautifully, ingeniously, and unpredictably, they used they used their harmonic content so unpredictably. And there you have it. When I was uh, exposed to the music, how it was, what happened, what was the um, inceptual influence that got me into Steely Dan, I have no idea. All of a sudden, I'm listening to these people. And waiting for the next album to come out. Or... Every year, once a year, they would come out with this incredible <laughs> new album. And, oh, God, was my mind and my intellect tickled. Well, that's interesting you were saying your intellect because, you know, they, they didn't grant interviews uh, this year at all for the tour. This is called the Diplomatic Tour of 2011. Mm -hmm. And I found that curious, but, you know, I respect that. Because after a while, these interviews, they ask you the same question. What does the song mean? You know, all kinds of stupid questions. How would you describe this intellect part of the progression of their music? I think every musician and composer aspires to the next level of challenges. I think Donald Fagan and Walter Becker... Once they got together, there was no stopping them. <laughs> they just had this union. They had a union of intellect, musical curiosity that took them to another level that most people just didn't have. When you listen to their music, you try to predict where the melody was, is going to go, and it doesn't happen. And yet you're able to say, upon listening to it maybe one time, maybe multiple times, depending on your acuity. And you go, wow, that is incredible. They, they took this note and they went this way instead of the normal that way. And the creativity of going from this interval to another interval and all of a sudden go, whoa, I created something extraordinary out of that anticipation they're incredible they're incredible well there was nothing new the show had songs we were all familiar with right but there are a couple of things that you really liked about it the opening yeah and the uh, the close of the show they had their horn section playing introducing them tell me where it did change you said there were a couple of that the arrangements had changed. Okay, uh, they opened with Dizzy's Bidness, okay, which was um, 
I don't know who wrote it. What happened was they opened up with the band prior to Walter Becker and Donald Fagan coming on the stage. It was an incredible opening. They were able to do that in the um, encore numbers. It's the exposition and the denouement of the show. And denouement is what is what is meant by that is the uh, the end of the show. You take those people who are essential in, in the reading of the show to be able to walk off the stage and they, they're able to make that transition. I really liked it. I thought That's it was good. really tight. It was very good. Rhythm section was in, incredible. The uh, backup horns were incredible. John Harrington on guitar was incredible. You said you knew him. Yeah, it, I, I knew him by name. But you I went never, to school. I never met him. He was one of the guitar players who substituted during one of those Kinderhook moments in Rutgers years. And then John goes on to um, become one of the seminal and incredible session players in New York. I ends up with Steely Dan. Well, that was always their reputation because I, I remember I, I would say, I really want to see them in concert. And someone would say, well, you can't. They're just studio musicians. And I was a little disappointed. I know they toured in the early days, early years, like 1973, 74, and didn't like touring. That's what I was reading. Mm -hmm. But I also think what they wanted to do is play with a lot of different musicians, and I think that was really a, um, a choice they made. They looked for the best players, and they didn't settle for somebody to stay with the band just because they were with the band, whether they were good or not. There are a lot of bands that do that. If we weren't there, it would be like listening to the music yeah. on CDs yeah. because it sounded so good. It was precision, it was technically well done, even uh, Donald Fagan stopped the third song because he heard crackling, so he wanted it to be perfect for the audience, they're perfectionists, that was one of their reputations of being perfectionists in the studio, well, you know what, they had every reason to be because 25 years later, the music still sounds excellent. We played a cassette tape that I put together 25 years ago in yeah. the car on the way up. That was Can't Buy a Thrill and Katie Lied. Yeah. And the songs, one after the other, it sounded great. Yes, it did. We're lucky you still had a cassette player in your car. <laughs> they have this incredible way of putting things together and musically harmonically they have something no one else has they still are alive the music is still alive do you witness what happened last night or yesterday afternoon and into the evening you watch these people they are a groove band they know how to groove simple it's a groove it has nothing to do with, I can delineate and make sure 
that you understand the harmonic content or this or that musically but what it comes down to is they know how to groove they you employed those grooves into all their songs you said the showbiz kids that was really different it, they changed the arrangement in that listen anything can happen to any piece of music that you can uh, that you've written in the past or present and all of a sudden you go I can I can make this into a different groove or I can change it to suit my present mood they did that to your gold teeth they did that to several numbers whereas you go oh I, I, I remember the hook which is the memorable part of the song they changed the whole groove of the song and they changed the whole uh, originality of the song or origination of the song that's all there is to it and it was cleverly done I couldn't believe it well they were inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2001 mm -hmm. that's uh, hmm, 10 years ago right and Donald Fagan was born in Passaic New Jersey but um, he's up for nomination for the New Jersey Hall of Fame mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if he would show up to Passaic his old school I wonder where his old school was in Passaic yeah. <laughs> and uh. would he would he come back to say hello I don't know. Steely Dan never played at Capitol Theater, have they? No. I don't think so. The Donald Fagan, Walter Becker connection was very evident last night. Nothing of two solo albums that I remember. Do you think the choices that they made last night really flowed and they just kind of touched on all the albums that they have done and, and it was that almost like the treasury of it no mm -hmm. no well tell you me know why what, what they, was they it? had so many albums they had so many why did they choose these songs they, they had so many beautiful albums how many albums were there gaucho deacon blues gay Lied, dr Wu. uh there's so many albums that were missing the um well, they played for two hours and yeah, and but they missed so many essential. Essential, that is key. Essential to us as the audience looking for yeah, it. And it's very not, subjective. Not, excuse me, we're not the audience. We are aficionados. You are right. We are. We know every song from every album, and they can only do so much in so much time and you know whatever but given the audience the people that came last night are not uh, you, you're talking a span of what 40 years yeah 40 years are you able to and can they as the band cover all the uh, aspects of a career that, that span that time Number one and number two, 
Do you pick one song from every or two songs from every album that you ever did? You're saying that uh, people memorize their parts. That's how well rehearsed it must have been. Because other than the singers, who I saw at one point turning pages, whatever the cues were, nobody, nobody was reading music. From the guitar player John Harrington, from Walter Becker to Donald Fagan, the horn players or whatever it was, from a musician's point of view, incredibly impressed by the drummer or the rhythm section. They knew exactly where the hits were, where they were supposed to play, and what was embellished and what was not. That drummer was incredible. The only thing I would have perhaps emphasized a little more in the mix was the bass player, because you could not hear him. And yet you could feel the bass player, and that that's it. There were moments of pure ecstasy where everybody was playing and you couldn't hear the piano player. You, you watched Donald Fagan. You can see him playing, but you cannot hear him playing. You heard the second key keyboard player, who is really the primary keyboard player, incredibly doing so much of the uh, washes and the and textures and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about the textures, yeah, because you're good at that. You're good at picking them out, describing them. Uh, I notice them afterwards you know because i i see the whole picture and then you're seeing the parts that are going into it as a musician from a musician's point of view describe some of those textures donald fagan was primarily the keyboard player however his keyboard player was his keyboard playing was defined by either playing electronic keyboard which is um Rhodes piano or just a piano sound on a um, electronic keyboard okay but his main keyboard player was doing all the synthesizer sounds he was doing the organ sounds that varied with so many different textures I couldn't even begin to tell you I, unless I was sitting there and going how did you do this how did you do that how did you do that you couldn't do it the wash of sounds that they were able to encompass into the music. You know, you go into the liner notes of every album. The liner notes of an album. I loved reading that. That's like reading the credits of a movie. Yeah, well, that's, that's the key. That's the key. However, you're under very controlled circumstances. You can make that come in and go out and come in and go out. When you're in a live situation, you have to rehearse. You have to know where you're going to come in, where you're going to go out, and where you're going to come in again. It's beautifully done. You know, I mean, that, that yesterday. However, we were washed out by too many ambient sounds. We want to enjoy that they are still performing. They have their band together. They toured in 2009 with Boz Skaggs, so... That might have been a time when they did experiment, when they tried things out, and this show just seems so polished. 
I would like to expound on that. They opened up with the band doing Dizzy's Business and ending with Das Tango. So that was the band without Walter Becker and Colin Fagan, which opened up and ended with the, with it so that the transitions could be easily done so that the entrance of the main characters and the exit of the main characters could be done without... Intrusion. Yeah. It was so a, clean. It, it was. Sophisticated. Mm-hmm. It was really sophisticated. I agree. With and I appreciated that yeah. very much. Yeah, right. They ended with uh, reeling in the years. They mm-hmm. had the whole place just jumping up. You know, everyone going at it. And then they didn't do Black Cow. No, they didn't. No, they did Kid Charlemagne. We had Black Cow on the list, but they did Kid Charlemagne, which, again, was very well done. And then Last Tango was the same exit. It was perfect. Exit stage left to a tango. It was a tight band. They worked really hard on that. The whole place was wired. I mm-hmm. know you noticed that when we were walking through to see yeah. the soundboard, the technician, everything that was going on there. I look forward to more of the shows. I know that they're going to be at Atlantic City mm-hmm. on Friday. Okay. That's uh, July, July 29th. They're going down a little bit into Pennsylvania, Virginia, Maryland, and then swinging back up to the Beacon Theater in New York. The Beacon Theater would be a little grittier. You know, Tanglewood was so beautiful in the Berkshires, in right. the mountains, under the stars. So they're going all over the place and then out to Australia and New Zealand. Right. If you were in their position, uh, what do you think that they would be thinking about when they're going to their next gigs to the other places uh, in New York and Boston? That's a great question. Frankly, I think it wouldn't change because audiences from one place to another are anticipating a certain thing. And uh, Probably a lot of tweets went out last night. That's possible. You know what? We have a technology that precedes the actuality or anticipates the actuality. But once it's done, or whatever it is that these people have as a show, I don't think it really matters. For whom? The audience that's going to be there. Right. Here where we are right now. Did we anticipate anything? We did not. We, We knew what the set list was going to be, and yet we didn't know what level of performance was going to happen. We did not know the interior banter that was going to happen. We did not know that Don Fagan was going to stop and say, wow, I do not like what's going on here on stage, the crackle. We don't know those things. No matter if we have a Twitter, no matter if we have a Facebook, no matter if we have anything anticipatory, I'm saying to you that during the moments of heated performance, discussion, or anticipation, you cannot know that there are going to be the moments that goes into this whole thing, but they will never experience, nor will they ever be part of what goes on stage. They will never understand what goes into writing the song, performing the song, arranging the song, being part of that, 
going into process of being part of it. Their top ticket was their top ticket for that whole season, which I noticed. It was $150. Did they put on a great show? Yes, they did. Were they professional? Absolutely. To the, bottom, to the bottom line. Were they um, consummate performers? You cannot take that away from them. We went through a lot to get there. We endured an incredible amount of noise in the audience between children and the people who were there to just eat, drink, and be merry. I just don't believe that there were a lot of people there for the music because the music was phenomenal. And nobody in that lawn pavilion was aware of how sophisticated, how that music was put together meticulously, how that music was done with every intent to be as faithful to the albums that they were recording on. I don't think any of those people were aware of that. The only thing they were aware of was the groove and the words that were being sung. And that is always the case with pop music. And that's my first time at Tanglewood. My only critique would be the entrance was cool. Exiting was awful. <laughs> Until we got out on the road and then they were able to, you know, get no, us out. Yeah, but the parking I, I itself, just, I, I, I just thought that the... Um, yeah. The way they handled the parking situation was awful. It's easy to get in, it's tough to get out. I'm so used to uh, getting into the Lincoln Tunnel, so we know what it's like trying to get eight lanes into one. Yeah, you know, that's but, true. But um, it was better etiquette in the parking lot than it was on the lawn. Um, well, the etiquette you're talking about is the people themselves. It's the people in the cars in the parking lot. It was It was fine, but the people on the lawns that we've encountered... Uh, we're rude. Uh, we're very boisterous and obnoxious and drunk. Uh, so. Um, and they were mostly women. I don't know. I wasn't counting. I did. <laughs> so there, there's a gender bender here. Oh, but well, sorry, you know you can't can make cut the this, excuses for that. Listen, you, you know, can cut this out, and I know you will, <laughs> because it's gonna happen. Well, this one group were, they were a very obnoxious group. They were obnoxious. <laughs> they might hear you. They know who you're talking about. And I took pictures of them. No, you didn't. I did. Oh, you're going to post them? And I'm going to post them on Facebook. <laughs> they're going to write they a song ob- about that. You they know, were because obnoxious. I think they're talking about the Cuervo and Gold and Hey 19. And, and you know and these what? These women were living that. Babylon <laughs> sisters were... S- smooth and cool they were okay they were the embassy brats i know they okay. were good you know and very then, nice yeah they, they, they were elegantly dressed too absolutely i look good absolutely i enjoyed their singing i couldn't really see the setup of the stage from where we were the seats were going down right and so I wasn't able to really see how, how it was set up. I was looking at that, so the lighting and the stage setting, everything, because that's right. what I look for. Just seeing the screens and just hearing the music, I think I got a lot more out of it. The lighting design, uh, it was okay. They had some crazy psychedelic things uh, flashing around. Yeah, it was, it was good. All right, so how do we end this? We need some music. For our exit, the last tango. Dun, 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 dun. What would you end with? 
What's their very first song that they did on their very first album? Oh, I don't know. Right. That's what I would do. Oh, isn't that uh, the very first album was Ricky? Well, yeah, but that was the hit. Right, right. But that's the album but that I'm talking about, the album. So the very first song off the very first album yeah. would be the ending of this, Yes. our podcast. Yes. Yeah. So the first song of the first album, last song, culminating, culminating this podcast. Yeah, you know, you decide. You decide at the end. What song would you choose to interpret or rearrange oh. using your uh, jazz violin? I don't know. That's a good one. Maybe that should be the end. Think What's that, that song? Da, 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 da. Think about that. I will. And see how it sounds. Yeah, I can do anything. I know you can. Until our next time. Until the next time. Before we'll the say next time. Good afternoon. No, don't do that. You make too many noises. I want to do that on purpose. I know.